Howdy folks, this is Scott Parker, and you're listening to episode 95 of Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast, and it's December of 2022. And as we get ready to close out the year with some very special episodes, we're here to give you part two of our very special episode, an interview with none other than Abigail Yasger, the author of Max Said Yes, a children's book that is really, really super special, and um, it's been out there for a while, but everybody should have it in their house. I'm sure you know some kids that would really get into it, and it's great for adults, too, so you could go to www.maxsaidyes.com to find out more about that. It's on Amazon, I believe, some other places as well, so it's just a book you need to have. And Abigail, as you can hear, is a really wonderful person. And uh, of course, she has some stories to tell about her family background and her relation to none other than our hero, Max Yasker. So without any further ado, here is part two of our conversation with Abigail Yasker. Max said yes, folks, right here on Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast. I could ask a couple questions if we could go back. You mentioned your son, sons. Uh, one of them you named after someone that's been mentioned here quite often. <laughs> yeah, I we have three kids. We have one son. We have a, oh. our oldest. Our eldest is a daughter. She just got married in April. Congratulations, our middle child. Our, yeah, I'm looking for that. Uh, our middle <laughs> child is a son. His name is Max Yasger wow. Lipner. My husband's last name is Lipner, so his middle name wow. is Lipner. And my youngest daughter got married last Sunday, and um, her name is Rose. So there's Emma, Max, and Rose, all very old school names. But Max was named to celebrate Max yeah. Yasker, who did not have a um, who did not have an ancestor named after him. Uh, so I wanted to so do that, even though name. we're even though we're you know even though we're second cousins. I thought it was important. so. His middle yeah. name is Yasger. His middle name is Yasger. So there's okay. a Max Yasger in the world. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna have to applaud that. <laughs> Ah, you're sweet. You're sweet. <laughs> and it's funny, you know, he's um, I was going to say he he, you know, Matt, there's a lot written about Matt. You can find out a lot about Max. He died very young. He had a heart condition. Six hundred acre farm, Guernsey cows, had this wonderful wife named Miriam. He went to Israel. He visited Israel once. He helped develop a tractor for Israel Farms. You could read about all this stuff, but also, yeah. you know, he was um, he and I'm sure you talk about this in the museum. He was a conservative fellow. Yes. Yeah. You know, had no I don't think there was a strong stance on the war that he held. Um, he was was he a registered Republican? I believe so. I believe I so. Yes. A registered Republican. Um, but when I think of my son, my son works in my all our kids live in New York. One lives in Brooklyn and one and the other two live in in New York and work in all different things. But my son, Max Yasger Lipner, uh, works in finance uh, <laughs> in, in in commercial real estate doing like billion dollar deals. There you right. go. Okay. <laughs> You know, I'm thinking, oh, if we OK, like how you calculated the price of tickets back then, um, yeah. calculating what it costs to be in farmland, 600 acres upstate in the mountains with what he's dealing with in, 
his financial world, you know, yep. uh, no, I can't make any sense of it, but um, he's, and my son is also on a somewhat conservative side. These were all acts of rebellion, I guess. It's kind of like the TV show family ties. Alex, his oh, parents right. were these big hippies <laughs> yeah. and Alex right. was a super conservative guy. Mm-hmm. That's right. I love that show. Um, yeah. So, but, any, but anyhow, there is the name Max Yasger in the world. And uh, that was important to me. And I'm sure, you know, it's the, his name is important to you too. Do you remember the Rolling Stone obituary? Yes. When yes. He, when he died. Oh, you must have that on the display at the museum as well. I'm not sure that we do. I don't think you do. I don't think you do. They never did anybody but musicians and they gave him a full page for hosting, hosting the festival. That was, it was a remarkable, it was a remarkable thing. Yeah. He died in 73, correct? Yeah. Yeah. He was like 50, 54, 53. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, He was was a young man. I'm thinking um, you've heard the stories from Michael Lang. About yes. him. They would go and visit him to to work on the deal for the land and he would be in an oxygen tent right. uh, for, yeah. for breathing. And um, yeah, I met some interesting people who from Woodstock, Michael Lang, I met um, he was out here promoting he was going to do a theater piece. That was in 2008. He was out here at the Screen Actors Guild or something, and I was offered a ticket. So I went. Because it was about Woodstock. Somebody heard about it and they offered me a ticket. So I went with like three goals in mind. Shake three people's hands who could help me create this circle around my book, which was going to be coming out within a few years or within the next year. So Michael Lang was one of the people I met. And then I met, I forgot his name now. I see him on Facebook. He handled the lighting system chipmunk chipmunk it wasn't chipmunk it was it, this guy probably knew, maybe it was the sound system was chipmunk also oh, bill hanley bill, bill hanley bill. Yes. There you go. yes yes so i met him at this woodstock thing michael lang was gathering people around because he needed to create a circle of people around his broadway what seemed to be a broadway project yeah, he was he was he was talking about it he never actually did anything with that he decided yeah. to get into marijuana instead. Oh, he did. He he had dispensaries or something. He, he was. He I was, think he tried smoking it. <laughs> no, no, no. He was doing. He, he was doing it. He was doing. He was doing it as a commercial venture as they were legalizing marijuana in various I don't think localities. I ever knew that. Right? Was huh. he was he investing? You mean or he was develop, He was developing it as a business, and he was coming out either with his own strain or an edible company or something. I listened to it on an episode on a pot, on an interview he did within the last year of his life or the last oh. two years of his life. And, unfor- and unfortunately we did not get him on the show before he got sick. Right. Have you interviewed any of those? Um, like you talked about people who were at Woodstock who still stay in Woodstock. Like what's the guy ricochet. Do you know that guy? Last time I was in Bethel, Ricochet hmm. was wandering the streets, leftover, you know, leftover from Woodstock. I mean, I think um, I think Max used to have hangers on. He would house people. You knew this, right? He had people in his home. And Duke parents- knew. Duke knew uh, Max, didn't he, Jim? 
I'm pretty you. sure he did. Yeah, yeah he knew. He Duke knew Devlin? Max. Duke yeah. Devlin, yeah, because yeah. he never left. He was one of yeah. those people. Yeah. He just so never there would left. be were there would be concerned parents who would call, and uh, apparently Max would try to calm their fears, or he would get the kids to call their parents. You know, I don't know what I don't know what the stories were with the kids, but you can only, you can only imagine. You know, given given the time, but um, sure. I, he was a, he was a he was a good man and he was I just um yeah I and have never heard a bad word said about him except from certain town people Clarence local, Townsend <laughs> yeah who, who the only bad th- who the only said I wish he didn't do what he did uh, but yeah. they did but they didn't say Max was a bad guy you know right. Matt yeah. nobody has ever said that Max beat his children. You know, right. Max, Mm-mm. nobody has ever said anything like that or that Max even ran a stoplight. Right. Not there, there were any stoplights in Bethel at the time, but nobody said anything bad about him. Yeah. They just he said, seemed- I wish he wouldn't have done what he did. In anything that I read of him or in even talking with Sam, his son, who died within the last couple of years, mm-hmm. correct. Uh, he seemed to be such a generous man generous of spirit and generous of of just of mind um in the way he thought about people and how they operated in the world i just think he must have been such a generous generous man he was a mensch yeah he was a mensch i mean you know the he had a you know as everybody knows he had um you know a real sort of deep sense for injustice you know and when when wall kill collapsed you know he you know he saw not an opportunity but well he did see an opportunity to correct that injustice and yeah. you know elliot tiber had a permit and uh you know did, did you i'm sure abigail you've seen um the depiction of max and elliot for that matter oh, and in taking taking woodstock, taking woodstock? Yeah. yeah 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 I, I thought did. they did a great job with Max. Yeah, I do too. Mm-hmm. In terms of what? The in terms of a personality portraying him. Yeah, portrayal. Okay. Yeah, it looked just like. Him. Yeah, it did look just like him. Yeah, um, played him Eugene I, Levy. Was that Eugene? Yes. Levy? Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. Really cool guy. Yeah. wrong she came along singing her songs and long before the morning what could I say I told her to stay still here today and there's no need for talking Jeanette I love you, Jeanette, and love's what I get when you hold me. The secrets you told me, don't you want to be living here with me anyway? Deep in the night, she is the light. Have I the right to take the love? She's bringing There was a time 
couple other questions, if I could ask uh, about you personally, Abigail. Two things, well, three things, and I'll let you talk. Uh, you went to one of my favorite colleges, the University of Pittsburgh, one of my favorite football programs, number one. Number two, you have a Steffi Groff-type of uh, scenario and that you're a, a very good tennis player <laughs> and number three tell us about your salt and pepper shaker collection <laughs> Maintain. Okay, i'm gonna start i'm gonna start with number three mm -hmm. okay. number three salt and pepper i started collecting salt and pepper shakers in 1980 yeah 80. around there and i have scores of them all different types from the kitschiest thing you could imagine to yeah. some really beautiful salt and pepper shakers. And right. I've decided recently, and probably because you saw my Facebook post, of, I've been posting pictures of yes. pieces from the collection. And I realize there are so many. I'm at the point where I'm almost a hoarder. <laughs> So I'm stopping. I am no longer collecting. These are for, you know what? Um, we have, we have guests over quite often. I set, I, I observe uh, Shabbat, the Jewish Sabbath right. as, as sort of host gifts. People seem to also give me salt and pepper shakers because they know I have this collection. I right. posted that I am no longer collecting with the specific goal of people never gifting me again. <laughs> and I love my collection, but it's yeah. got to stop. It's got to stop. And as hard yeah. as it is for me, I'm going to make it stop. So I have, so I have, I'm trying to think of some favorites of mine were a gift from uh, a friend of mine. And they're these, and I posted them. They're these small um, antique yeah. Mexican salt 
and pepper shakers. Um, and they're just lovely. I've never, I had never seen anything like them. Um, maybe because they're a vintage. Can you hear that lawnmower outside? Actually, no. no. Oh, okay. No. Uh, so uh, yeah, I have this major collection. And like I said, my dad went to Paris and I said, dad, some salt and pepper shakers would be great. So he brings <laughs> me back and I'm unwrapping it. And it's these salt and pepper shakers with a decal of the Eiffel Tower on them. And wow. you flip them over, it says made in China. <laughs> so I love those. And they remind me of my dad, right? And then there are these antique Mexican ones or these ones. Um, uh, one of my favorite sets is uh, um, a silver moon, a silver uh, flux mm -hmm. moon and a gold flux star. And yeah. uh, those were one of my first and they're all burnished and they're old and you can hardly tell that they're gold and silver anymore. But those are other favorites. Your question in the middle, Steffi Graf, she is yeah. one of my favorite tennis players. Although she one is of my, my favorite. She's your favorite? Absolutely. I also have a new favorite. Steffi Graf is retired. Um, mm -hmm. Great record. Great tennis player. She's, and I love Serena. She is the GOAT. Um, there's a tennis player I follow. She's from Italy, from Mercata, Italy. And her oh. name is Camilla Giorgi. Oh, and yeah. Her mother makes all her tennis clothes and she has got the fastest racket I've ever seen. And her dad is her coach. She's 30 years old and she just never changes her game, which means she's never going to win big, but she is a great player to watch for her speed and athleticism. She's a remarkable player. And I play tennis. I just about three weeks ago, I got back from Israel. I was I tried out for the U to represent the U.S. delegation for the Maccabi Leagues, which is considered the Jewish Olympics. Mm -hmm. I know you're thinking Jews and sports. Come on. No, really. <laughs> is, is great. We are great athletes. We are great oh, athletes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so I tried okay. out for the team. I played four matches. I won three out of the four. I will say the first woman I played was a Chilean ranked number one, and she wow. had grown up on clay courts. Uh, that's not an excuse because I was playing on clay courts and hadn't played before, and it was yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, but she beat <laughs> me, and then I went on to beat the Argentinian player and then the Israeli player, and then I played mixed doubles with a guy from Southern California, and we beat a uh, Canadian so I love tennis. Um, it was great. It was a great trip. And I play almost three or four times a week. And you, you got to play okay? this morning. <laughs> I played this morning. Yeah. yeah. And then the first question, um, li library, right? It was no, about library. Pitt. Pittsburgh, Univers University Pittsburgh. of Pittsburgh. Go so, Panthers. That's kind of when I knew I wanted to be a librarian. Yeah, I went to Pitt. I graduated the same year as Tony Dorsett. Yep. Is that a familiar yep. name? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he graduated in 77. And then right after that, I moved to I moved to upstate New York for a little while, then moved to Connecticut. And then I moved to Vermont and lived in Vermont for a while. Then I went to graduate school in Boston and just I'm not a big Pitt alumni. I root, I root for them. I root for anything Pittsburgh. The Pirates, yeah. the Penguins, Steelers. the Steelers. Yeah. yeah. 
I root for all Pittsburgh teams. And and also I root for any team that is named after a bird. So the Baltimore Orioles, the Toronto Blue Jays, <laughs> the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm I'm big on birds and the environment. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the birds. <laughs> where where did you live in uh in Connecticut and in Connecticut, I lived in a town. I lived in a couple places. I lived in a town called um, Southington. Oh, yes. Outside Hartford. And then I lived in Hartford for a little while. Yeah. I'm in Waterbury. Oh, okay. Waterbury, closer to, toward New York. Well, yeah. Um, actually, Southington is about a 15-minute drive from here. From where you are? Yep. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so so are, you right near Chesh- are you near Cheshire? Yep. Yeah. Yep, okay. Sure am. Yeah. Yeah, so I enjoyed uh, I, I enjoyed living in Connecticut for a little while. I worked for newspapers when I was there. I wrote oh, yeah. I wrote weddings and obituaries for the um, for what was the name of it? The uh, West Hartford Current. No, it was the Hartford Current. Was the name is the name of the newspaper West Hartford? Yes. West. I don't know. It was a it was a group of fifteen different. There was. 15 different newspapers tabs came out of this. Uh, yeah, there were the voices was one that was in Southbury. Okay. I don't, uh, yeah, it's that it? same group of papers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to write obits and, and weddings, wedding announcements. <laughs> before I got into hard journalism. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, we all have that because Aaron, you, you kind of near where uh, Abigail grew up, right? Where am I? Um, so I, so this is actually what I was going to ask you, whereabouts in upstate New York did you live? Cause I live, um, like they were saying earlier, I live in the Finger Lakes. I live in a town called Geneva. I'm not Geneva. Geneva. You lived in Geneva. No, I did not live oh. in Geneva. I know Geneva because I would go on vacation to the Adirondacks. Yes. So I've discovered, and also I lived in an, do you know where Sherman, New York is? That's familiar. I don't think a tiny, tiny town. And I lived in and that was next to the tinier town where I really lived, which is (laughs) called Finley Lake. Okay, Finley Lake, I've heard of. This is very near Erie. It was like 10 miles across the border from Erie. And then if you went further along the southern tier there along New York border, you'd run into Chautauqua and Jamestown and that whole area. And I lived across. Now, Bradford, that's like Bradford, Pennsylvania. That's like just over the state line. Right. Just across from Olean. Absolutely. And my... um, my grandparents are bar- are buried there. My my relatives owned a, fur- a furniture store and a clothing store there in Bradford before we moved to to Pittsburgh. And then when I was in Pittsburgh, I lived um, uh, in Squirrel Hill. I lived all over Pittsburgh because I went back for college from Greenville, where I graduated from high school. Um, I lived in Shadyside. I lived in Oakland. I lived in, I lived all over Pittsburgh. But yeah, Geneva um, isn't uh, Hobart. Um, yeah, Hobart and William Smith. Yeah, yeah. So I have a good friend who went to college there. Um, yeah, I love that part of I love that part of New York because you you go through these towns and the streets are so blessedly wide. There's something very wide and open about them that I really loved. And then I would go canoeing and 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 things like that in the Adirondacks. And then we would also we might also go up there to get we would vacation in Maine also. Um, and we would go up through New York to get to Maine. Yeah, because you're not all that far, really. I mean, right. from Maine, once by the time you get up there. 
Right. So, mm-hmm. and those were also, those were great rural areas. I, I like, I like a rural life. Um, even though I live in LA, I mean, I live in LA and it is, yeah, yeah I'm not in the Valley. I'm in LA. That's my, yeah. <laughs> in LA. Yeah. but I do like, I, I, I like rural areas and had always pictured five acres and some independence, yeah. but I, now, I have how close, how close are you to my favorite school? Uh, the University of Southern California Trojans. Uh, University of Southern California is um, about, I, I want to say it's like five miles away. I live. Oh, that close? Yeah, it's right. It's right here. And I'm as close to UCLA. I'm right between yeah, you're right in the and UCLA. And is then your husband lecture at USC or US, you're UCLA? Um, well, he's a judge now, so okay. he, cut back, huh. he cut back on his, um, he's also a professor of law, and he's taught at USC, UCLA, Loy- and Loyola, which is oh, another wow. local um, mm-hmm. university here, and now he's a family court judge. He um, he decides things like custody and money. And he's so also involved in intellectual property, if I recall he, he's Yeah, he got his start right after law school. Um, he went to a firm called Irel and Manella, and Irel and Manella has a very strong pa- practice of intellectual property. Property, um, he and he mainly worked on technology and things like that. And for an English major, technology, he's yeah. he's, he's pretty. He's very smart. He's very he's very smart. So um, so that's what he does now. He's a judge. He's been a judge for about four years now in family court here in L.A. downtown L.A. Well, he married Yasger, so he's very smart. Can't be be all bad, right? (laughs) You're right in between USC and UCLA. You're kind of in the middle of that area then. Yeah, yeah. I'm in an area near near Culver City, near Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah. Do you know the area? Right. Right. Near Century City. Oh yeah, yeah. I, um, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I go there several times a year. Well, I did before COVID, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Business brought you out here. Oh no, I'm a big fan of autographs, and I'm a big fan of USC, and I have a uh, lot of friends out there. Ah, uh, okay. Very nice. Even though I, I don't sound like I'm, I don't sound like I'm from LA or LK home, obviously, but. I've just been a lifetime fan. Any chance I get to go out there, I do. But I haven't had many since COVID hit. Where do you Where do you live, though? In, out in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, okay, Atlanta. Okay, I've been to Atlanta a couple times. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and Johnny, also- Johnny's got the most uh, uh, ridiculously well autographed, uh, you know, collection of Woodstock autographs. I guess that's very poorly stated, but. You, wow. you know, I think he has more Woodstock autographs than I think anybody on earth. So, <laughs> and where do you, where do you keep things like that? Do you have them in an archive or uh, here, there, and everywhere? It's usually oh. the exact. And my mother says, "You can't take these with you when you go." I say, <laughs> "Where I'm going, they're coming with me." Wherever yeah. they're going, <laughs> oh, I'm, with, I'm, with, I'm with your mother. <laughs> You yeah. can't take him with you. Yeah. <laughs> Every hand in the land shake along with me. It don't seem that I can dream like I used to dream. 
Maybe that somebody is shaking me If I fell, I could tell It may be that somebody is making me Dream that you're forever gone away from me Every toe that I know Shake away I can't seem to get to where I want to be Maybe it's my own foot that keeps tripping me Trip, trap, flip, flat And it must come to ever from it comes through to me I can't walk to where my own dreams talk to me Every face in this place Take your eyes away Blink if you think that there's another way Maybe it's my own eyes that don't see the way The time is blind And it may come to pass that I will lose my mind I can't live without the love I left behind I can't live without the love I left behind Geneva. Well, okay. So I have a day job um, and I work uh, for a medical practice uh, that's associated with the University of Rochester. And uh, but uh, so, you know, my job is just like basic receptionist duties, making sure patients come in and come out and, you know, as much as I can disclose. Um, But what I do on the side and how I ended up um yeah. meeting these people uh was that i write articles for a lot of regional publications i write for the uh edible finger lakes here uh i write for a, a magazine out of rochester called 585 which is named after rochester's area code um i write i've done some writing for our local paper here the finger lakes times uh, I used to write for this paper called uh, the Finger Lakes Wine Gazette, uh, which folded, but now there's sort of a, a successor publication called FLX Libations. Um, we have a very big wine industry here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I used to spend summers in Rochester. I had an uncle, and I think someone on this panel mentioned my uncle, Arthur Yasger. He lived in... I don't know, but we would go up there and my father was a big sailor and my uncle, Arthur Yasger, was a big sailor as well. And we would sail on the lake. We would sail on Ontario. Um, Is that the lake? Yeah, that's the lake. Mm -hmm. But I would also, I had a friend who lived in Henrietta, New York, which was a suburb Mm -hmm. of Rochester. And I would go up and I would take a Greyhound bus from (laughs) Mercer, PA, which was the next biggest town to Greenville, where Greyhound stopped. And I would take a bus, switching in Buffalo, to get up to Rochester to visit this friend of mine. And we would spend the summer going to University of Rochester theater plays. And I was in high school at the time, or junior high, taking these buses. Um, It must have been junior high. Um, And they had wonderful productions at the University of Rochester. that I have great fondness for. I also have great fondness for visiting my uncle and his family there. 
um, right on right on the lake and and sailing. There was nothing like that. It was good good days there, really good days in Rochester. So the the majority of the Asgers were concentrated came over from um, you know the emigrated to this country, kind of settled in the Northeast, right? Right. Interesting. So, yeah. You know, have you have you done like ancestry and all that stuff to I I have um I have and what you say is basically true. They settled in the northeast, Philadelphia and somehow out to why they would ever go to Bradford I don't know. There must have been mm. a relative there or a cousin or somebody who encouraged them. There was a there was there was they wouldn't have gone there was a Jewish community and that's why they went. They needed to be around family and a Jewish community. And there was sure. a synagogue there. There was a sem- a Jewish cemetery there. So, And there were businesses there. And mm-hmm. my family had businesses. You know, they had the furniture store and they had a clothing store, something like um, that. Well, most Europeans emigrated through Ellis Island. So it right. makes sense that you'd be in the Northeast. Yes, Yes. And then we spread and then we're spreading out my I have a brother. He lives in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And I have another brother who is an itinerant traveler. So he's always around the United States somewhere. Um, But yeah. And uh, a lot of Yazgers in New York who I've never met. I met a Yazger. I met a Yazger in 2009 who was on his way to Australia to visit his daughter. Yeah lives in Australia now. He called me when he was in LA. He got he was spending the night because it's an overnight flight. And um we met up. I had never met him before. Um but we're related. It's interesting cuz far back, if you go far back enough, like great great grandfather, he had two marriages. The first wife died. He got married a second time and that was my great great grandmother. Really? Okay. Yeah. And I think that Max's family came from the first great, Marriage. great grandmother. Oh. And that was, I think his name was, the grandfather was Zalman, Zalman Yasker. Either that or Shmaryahu. I think it's Zalman, Zalman Yasker. Yeah. So, but so, so it's a small, it's a small, the Yasker tribe's a small tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just my dad's side. My my grandma, my my grandmother's side is uh, there are a lot of people in L.A. with the last name Leshner, um, who I haven't met also. But that was my grandmother's side. All right, Johnny, I've 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 occupied the space. You go for it. <laughs> oh, no, no. And by the way, Scott created this show. So we we had hit, we we back to him. We refer to him. Defer whatever the word is. No, no, I just had one. How many episodes? How many episodes do you have under your belt now? Like in the 60s? We, we are no, about we, to release, I think, 83 or 84 tomorrow. Yeah. Marvelous. That's splendid. 83. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And there's still a, a bunch that are uh, ready to roll. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, as I always say, you, you, you're going to have the musicians and the musicians have been telling the same stories for 53 years and they've been all been interviewed extensively most of them um but there's the major you know, name the major the major names have Ma- yeah not all of them yeah that's true. i mean the major everybody knows arlo guthrie mm-hmm. very few people know that there were three other guys in his band at the time mm-hmm. one of which is still alive who was on the show bob arkin bob the bassist. Arkin. 
Yep. But but Bob Arkin doesn't get interviewed by everybody. That's mm. true. And Bob was a, Bob was a great interview. So, mm. you know, really, you know, like um, Jack and Johnny really pointed the way toward, you know, making this show what it is, because, um, you know, I, I'd had the basic idea in place, but uh, they really fleshed it out. And we've gotten a lot of amazing stories like yours, for example, that, right. Right. you know, I mean, yes, you've you know, you you wrote the book and, you know, um, you're not uh, an unknown quantity for sure. Like, you know, like some people or whatever, but you know, when, when you say you, you get these stories, Billy, do you, does the museum's mission is not to get these stories or is it to get these? Do you know what I mean? Oh, Jim, Jim. Oh, very yeah. much so yeah. to get the stories. Right. In, in so, fact, uh, Neil Hitch, the newest uh, curator, is, is pushing it especially hard now, realizing that the stories are disappearing. Yes. The, the idea is, and we're contributing to this, is to become, and it's a horrible comparison in subject matter, but to be the Shoah of Woodstock. <laughs> but the idea I like it when he are, says that, actually. It's a horrible I'm, comparison. It is a horrible comparison because there's... Does everybody know what the Shoah is? Mm -hmm. Shoah is the Holocaust project of getting the stories of the survivors, which is aside from there's no comparison. But I have six million reasons why it's not a comparison. (laughs) I'm a a tribe member too. (laughs) Ancestors died there too. So, but the idea is getting the stories from the people who were there. Yeah, that, I know. I totally. What, of course, I get that. Of yeah, course, point, and, and, point that, totally and that's what we're trying. Did you to collaborate? You collaborate with the? I mean, how's it? Every show we record. Oh, is archived. The, gets sent to the museum. Okay. Okay. I'm a librarian, so I'm very interested in how people I, save yeah. information. So the museum seems a perfect. And uh, you're very talkative for a librarian, which is a good thing. <laughs> 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 it, it's it's funny because. Um, yeah, that's what Neil was saying. Neil was saying, you know, you and I are very aligned in the way that we approach history. And I I said, you know, because we never really had I mean, we we have talked before, but we'd never really had that in depth of a conversation. And he's, you know, a fabulous guy. And yeah, they've gone into overdrive trying to get people to tell their stories. In fact, next time you're at the museum, I guarantee you that they will sit you down for a video interview. Well, to you know yeah. to tell your story right jim yeah sure yeah they'll absolutely do that huh. and um you know they're they're you know the the stories are d- d- semi sort of dying out you know as much as we yeah. don't want to admit it you know and so we have to get as many of these as we can because it's important for history well and, and the other thing is that a lot of people and, and you'll see this on social media. Lisa Law is involved with this now right. as well. Yes. And uh, people will say, you know, I, I just have just this. I, I don't have much of a story. That's a story. Mm-hmm. No matter how yeah. big or small your story yeah. is, that's yeah. a story. And, and we some people say, well, you know, I, I, I never I got as far as Monticello. I never got any farther than Monticello. That's a story. That's a story. That's a story. Right. That's a story. Yeah. Far out. Far around. Far down. Far up. 
I'd like you to hear a tune about, I guess about those discussions that I was talking about that I seem to have had in so many small circles of friends around living rooms, around pipes when uh, they weren't selling no papers on the street and we weren't walking around this beautiful green place smoking and uh, not being afraid. This is about all of us. I love you people. a dream last night What a lovely dream it was I dreamed we all were alright Happy in a land of ours Why did everybody laugh when I told them my dream I guess they all were so far from that kind of scene Feeling mean I heard a song last night What a lovely song it was I thought Hum it all night Unforgettable because All of the players were playing together And all of the heavies were light as a feather All I'll remember is a feeling tomorrow But as I recall just follow I had a dream last night what a lovely dream it was I dreamed we all were alright happy in a land of ours what a lovely dream it was. I didn't, I don't mean to interrupt, but I actually, no. um, an article that I have forthcoming, uh, maybe a less morbid comparison. Um, <laughs> Is about a doc Thank is you. about a documentary called Box of Rain, which is basically like the collected stories of Grateful Dead fans. Yep. Yeah, and they interview all like uh, I think Jack Lebrecht, uh, Jim Lebrecht, that's his name. He was in Crip Camp as well. He's interviewed in this documentary, and the documentary started as uh, sort of just wanting to collect interviews of old Deadheads. It was inspired. Um, I guess the director, her name is Lonnie Frazier, um, 
had uh, gone to this gathering and they were talking about this deadhead who had passed away. And it's like, you know, we got to get these stories. And originally they had thought she had thought about just uploading them to like YouTube. But then she sort of started to see certain patterns with stories. And then she decided to turn it into a documentary. And by the way, uh, Box of Rain is available to stream. So, yeah. Oh, I gotta check that What platform? Uh, I'll have to look that up. Is it like Netflix or it's YouTube? And while you're looking that up, of course, you can read Max Said Yes. (laughs) And you can purchase it at (laughs) MaxSaidYes.com. Thank you. MaxSaidYes.com. Yes. Yes. And we're talking with Abigail Yasger, one of the co-authors of Max Said Yes. Yes. Uh, The the Yasger. Yeah, they are... uh, uh, Abigail Yasger, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's winner of the Yasger of the Month contest. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Yasger, thank you, thank Yasger you, Yasger of the Month. That's quite the honor. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a delight and a pleasure to um, answer your questions, but oh, more to meet not you. Not to interrupt, but the documentaries on DVD. DVD, okay, ah, so not yes. not streaming, not streaming. Okay, yeah, I thought it was streaming somewhere, but apparently not right at the moment. Okay. Yeah, okay, I didn't mean to I'm, I'm the resident deadhead of the crew, so <laughs> I have a couple things. How now, many live recordings do you have, Scott? Oh, god. oh my god, I couldn't even begin to count them. Uh, oh, it has I only to have be as many autographs as I have. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I only have a couple about thousand, a thousand at least. <laughs> I have a thousand. Do you? Yeah, hey. only a thousand. Oh. All right. So I have to ask before you do this, Johnny. What was your first show, Jim? Oh, not until the nineties. Really? Well, I excuse me, Woodstock. (laughs) Oh, well, that's true. You did see the dead at Woodstock. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that you know, I've told the the story on the show before, but I wasn't a, a you know a Grateful Dead fan the first time I saw them. I got talked into seeing them, and then uh, somebody dosed me with acid, and I got it right away. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, LSD doesn't open the doors of perception for those of you out there who are listening yeah. so much as kicks them down. So. <laughs> Anyway, go when for it. Scott Derek. says this. When hmm. Scott says that, it always confirms our worst fears. And, and he <laughs> keeps confirming it. And Abigail, if I could ask, you and Jack were talking about Jew, uh, Judaism. Um, you were a president of an Orthodox synagogue, correct? At one point? Correct. correct. Now, is that, tell us about that. Is that uncommon for women to? Yes. I don't know. I'm just asking. Especially in orthodoxy. Yes. 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 Yeah. That, that's okay. absolutely right. It is uncommon. I was the first female president of our synagogue here in Los Angeles, and no other women in any other orthodox synagogue in L.A. was there had never there had not been. There had not yeah. been. So I was a fir- so I was a first, at least to the best of my knowledge. Now, in New York or anywhere else, I'm not sure. But it's not it's not common that a woman would be the president of the synagogue of an Orthodox synagogue. That's absolutely true. Were, were you were you sitting on the bima? Because in services, I go to president of the synagogue often sits on the bima, which is the platform where the prayers are said. 
Right, like the stage. No, our synagogue is not one that has its lay leadership sit on the bima or the stage in front of all the uh, congregants. We, I didn't do that. I made announcements okay. every week, uh, facilitated and headed all the board meetings, met with the rabbi uh, once a week, met with the executive director once a week. But no, I didn't sit on the, the bima. Okay. But you're <laughs> very knowledgeable there. Well, my brother's Baal Shuva, so, uh, and I went to Hebrew schools, Bar Mitzvah. I know, you know, I, I'm as, as a fellow Jew. I wait, you're from Rockland. Where, where are you from in Rockland County? Near Muncie. Called what? I'm in Pomona, but there's a town called Muncie. I know Muncie. You, I know you know Muncie because if you're Orthodox, it's like taking over William. Exactly, what town exactly near Muncie? I am in Pomona specifically. I grew up okay. in New Hampstead. Oh, okay. Do you know Spring Valley? Yeah, that's always yeah, New Hempstead is it, Spring Valley was is part of the town of Ramapo, but there were unincorporated parts of the town of Ramapo. My post office growing up was Spring Valley, and I went to the Jewish Community Center in Spring Valley. Spring Valley is next town over. Right. So my husband's from Spring Valley. Okay. And I've been to Spring Valley. Uh, what's the name I of this? I graduated from Ramapo High School in Spring Valley. It okay. was also went, Spring Valley High School. Okay. My husband went to Yeshiva. So. Solomon Schechter. Okay. That's where you went? No, that's one of the Yeshivas here. Oh, okay. Okay. It's a big Jewish day school here. Yeah. He went to Hebrew Institute. Yeah. Okay. And then he went, then he went to YU, to Yeshiva University High School in Manhattan. Okay. Yeah, right. Washington Heights. Washington Heights. Right. Yeah. Well, that's Washington Heights is a neighborhood in Manhattan. Yeah. So um, this has been delightful. It's been really nice to meet everybody. It's yeah, it really has. And I'll tell you this growing up, Protestant is now turning out to be the most boring thing in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wait till you get to Yom Kippur. (laughs) That was good. That I, don't know, I, I don't know why they call it a fast if it goes so slow. So, so, <laughs> so slow. <laughs> well, oh my I'm goodness. Catholic, and as Stephen Colbert said, we're the Jews of Christianity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I missed the first part. What did you say, Aaron? The- uh, Stephen Colbert said that we're the Jews of Christianity. I'm a, I was raised Catholic. Um, okay. I believe Scott's daughter went to Catholic schools. But yes. uh, one right. thing Stephen Colbert has said is we're the Jews of Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> Did he say that because of ritual of all the ritual? Yes. Yes. Ritual. I think that's yes. what he was. Well, probably- Christianity is based on Judaism. If it wasn't for <laughs> and Jesus was Jewish. But I mean, that's a whole other rabbit hole to go down to go down through and that's not part of the podcast yeah, I, I actually i don't know about you guys but i smell a spinoff podcast coming <laughs> and what would that be a rabbi a priest and a hippie yeah, walk, walk into, into a bar yeah yeah <laughs> studies in comparative religion yes. with your hosts <laughs> i need to book some more jewish guests we've had a few on but i need to get to work on that i've had a lot of jewish girlfriends does that count <laughs> you want to book, you can get Dylan. 
Ah, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want anything to do with Woodstock, right? Sadly, <laughs> he, 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 he didn't yep. want to go to the original festival. Yeah. He doesn't want to do the podcast or this podcast. <laughs> he doesn't want to do hardly anything at all, really. And he's always been that way. But what can you do? He's a legend. He he, he doesn't have to. He doesn't but have it's, to. But it's he's Dylan. But it's been an absolute delight, Abigail Yasker, who co-wrote the book, Max Said Yes, available at maxsaidyes.com. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and delightful to meet all of you. And I hope next time I get to Bethel, I'd love to meet everyone here. Yes, please. I just sent you a Facebook friend request. Or when we go to California. Or when you come to L.A. Okay. I do have to one so of these days, the Zappa Vault is out there. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Be groovy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're working on it. The scene of another meeting of young people was revisited today by a CBS News correspondent. John Lawrence has a report on what he found. weeks ago, the Woodstock Music and Arts Festival attracted 300,000 young people to the tiny Catskill Mountain Resort town of Bethel, New York. Today, seven were still here. The students and hippies were packing up for the trip home to Buffalo, taking along memories of an extraordinary event. They liked it so much, it was difficult to leave. How have you uh, all been getting along with the townspeople last oh, couple of uh, weeks? Nice. Really dynamite. <laughs> Fantastic. Tell me. Uh, well, like we got here, I've been here for about, I don't know, three weeks, close to a month now. And the first night we got here, we didn't have much money. And the policeman named Artie took me and the people that were in my car out to dinner and offered us to let us stay in his house. And it was, I mean, they're just out of sight. You know, everybody on the way in, the people that were coming in, uh, on the last, you know, just before this festival started, there were people out in the road, you know, giving away free food, you know, townspeople and water. Some other young people today were picking up the tons of debris left behind by the crowd. Everything from worn out boots and sandals to toothbrushes. There is much more work to do. The kids have also left behind a controversy. Many of the people who live here are asking why such a spectacle was allowed to happen. I think it has created a, a, a deep split and the townspeople, people who were friends and neighbors before, are so hepped up about this that uh, <laughs> those who were friends before aren't friends any longer. And I think this is a sad situation. What's I'm the here. biggest issue? Well, possibly the, the fact that it might come back again. The moral aspect. And uh, also the moral aspect. You know, there were a lot of good children who came to this, and uh, a lot of them who never smoked pot before, you know, did it that weekend, and a lot of them who never experienced sex before did. And, I mean, they were just exposed. These things you can say they were exposed, they would be exposed to anyway, but this was so highly promoted, it was right out in the open, the state police couldn't do anything about it. It was just too big. Some residents are threatening to sue for damages. Promoters of the festival promise to pay all additional costs. They say they are now $1 million in debt. The man who rented his property for the festival, dairy farmer Max Yasger, disagrees with his angry neighbors. You've got to understand that this festival was contracted for for no more than 45,000 people. 
we felt that we had proper facilities for 45,000 people. When I realized Friday night and Saturday morning that we were getting up close to the half a million mark and there was a sea of people here, I became quite apprehensive. Uh, thoughts flashed through my mind uh, of some other problems that they've had throughout out the country. And these kids, these young people, made me feel guilty today because there were no problems. They uh, proved to me and they proved to the whole world that they didn't come up for any problems. They came up for exactly what they said they were coming up for, for three days of music and peace. So that two weeks later, all of the festival that lives now are the memories of the music and the kids, the protests of the townspeople, and a friendly black dog from New York City, lost and left behind in the confusion of it all. John Lawrence, CBS News, Bethel, New York. And that's our show. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast was produced and edited by Scott Parker. Your hosts were Jack Lekensky, Johnny Hudson, Aaron Shear, Jim Shelley, and Scott Parker. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast is not associated in any way with Woodstock Ventures or any of its entities. Come and check us out on our Facebook page. The group is called Keep the Dream Flowing where we keep you updated on various things that we're doing and give you a heads up when there's a new episode coming. So check that out. On behalf of all of us here at Keep the Dream Flowing, this is Scott Parker saying thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.